This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Eshet Torah here in Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. This is the Practical Spirituality course, and we're now on the second candle of Hanukkah, and today we'll be talking about chaos. You ever thought about doorposts? Like the, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like necessarily their doorposts, especially Hasidim. There was a time of danger where lighting outside your home was considered too dangerous, so rabbis said you should light inside your home. And, uh, and I think the Hasidim enjoyed the, staring at those lights so much that when things were less dangerous, they didn't go back to lighting outside. Whereas the, the, the Litvox, Lithuanian-style people, they continue to light outside which is really what the Shulchan Aruch says. But of course the Hasidim, we pity them because, because, you know, you light your candles and then you gotta like go inside. So now, you know, it might be pouring rain, it might be, it might be snowing if you're in, you're in New York, you know. You're, like how, how many people are actually gonna set up a couch outside to spend time with their candles? You know? I saw them like inside the house by the Yeah, that's also an option. A lot of people do that too. Inside, but that's you know that's not exactly presuming Nisa. You know. Most people in New York light by the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's presuming Nisa too, and you get to see it while you're in the house, which is great. Yeah, there's been all kinds of different ways of doing it, but the actual like, like the Shulchan Aruch saying something, <laughs> and it's saying to light it outside your door, which is the world of chaos, and not only light it outside your door in the world of chaos. But light it under ten tefachim. That's serious chaos, because the Kabbalah teaches us that the Shechina doesn't dwell under ten tefachim. So do your mitzvah in absolute chaos, where, like, I mean, this is a whole other discussion in Jewish philosophy, is is there such a thing as, like, that level of chaos in the dark side, where it's, like, no longer, like, under the jurisdiction of God. Like, God doesn't go below ten Oh, put it there, then. Go put, go put your menorah where, where God's hand doesn't reach. And by the way, obviously, this is all just so to speak, because obviously God's everywhere, and there's no such thing as God, not, God having a limit where he doesn't go. Okay, that doesn't exist. We're discussing Kabbalistic thoughts here. But in those Kabbalistic thoughts, we're talking about putting the thing outside your house in the world of chaos, putting it under 10 in the world of chaos, but it even goes further. Put it on the left side of your doorpost. Now, tell me, how many mitzvahs do you go to, towards the left? None. <laughs> Tying your shoe, you want to say, Sammy? Which no, one? Uh, it's a, it's yeah, but that's practical. It's just because you know your esophagus is on the left side, your windpipe is on the right side. So they're just saying, like, try not to choke on your matzah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a Kabbalistic why. I don't know it. Maybe you've seen it. You're starting on the right. right? With what? When you're lighting, is that right? Everything we do on the right. But you have to put it on your left. Now, there's a reason they give why you put it on the left. Who knows the reason? What's on the right side of a doorpost? Mezuzah. Mezuzah's on the right. So it's already got a mitzvah, so now we've got to head to the left side of the door to add another mitzvah. And then you're surrounded by mitzvahs if you happen to be hanging around your doorway. Totally parenthetically, 
I know no one hangs around their doorway, but but this is has nothing to do with our class today. I just want to mention because I, I like to mention healthy eating, especially in Hanukkah where people are eating all kinds of crazy stuff. Today I actually allowed myself out of starvation to eat a whole wheat jelly donut. <laughs> a whole wheat jelly donut. And you want to know something? It must have been made really healthfully because it both tasted healthy and I didn't get that horrible feeling in my tummy from eating fried donuts. So I imagine that it was just a completely healthy thing and it, and it didn't have jelly in it either. It had a, what's that stuff called? Ribat challah, what do you call that? Dolce de leche. Caramel. Caramel, I think. But I was desperate. I was sitting in yeshiva where I learn in the mornings and I just couldn't seem to get any food in my stomach before my day started. So, I mean, I didn't get near food. And the only thing was in the middle of a shir, someone brought in whole wheat. Leave it in nachla oat to get whole wheat jelly donuts, you know. I, I live in a very granola part of town. Sugar free jelly? I don't know. There was, it, was, it was caramel. Oh, was there confectionery sugar on top of it? No. There was more caramel. Oh, sure. Anyway, um, anyway, but speaking of the doorway, how many of you hang around the doorway when it comes to food? Think about it. When you go into a house, when you go into a house, you can go into a house for eight, nine, ten hours. I mean, especially if you're going to be sleeping there that night, so you come home for dinner. And you stay in there, you stay in that house, you know, let's say by the time you go to sleep till you get out in the morning, let's say you're in the house for 12 hours. Many people's digestive systems run about 12 hours plus. And how many of us are only looking at the taste of something when we eat it, totally ignoring the fact that that thing's going to be dwelling inside our bodies for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. It's going to be staying inside there. It's going to be dwelling in you. So, like, obviously, you don't put anything in your mouth that you wouldn't want dwelling in your organs and feeding you. You know, it's supposed to... It's The feeding of your body is all going to take place in your colon where your colon extracts the nutrients. That's when you eat. It's not the mouth. The mouth is just the doorway. You know, it's... Maybe tonight you should... Well, it's Hanukkah, so that would be kind of makes sense, but... Maybe you should just, from now on, when you come home for dinner, you should just eat in the doorway. But you don't do that. So just like you eat inside a house in a dining room or in a kitchen table, you, so too your food only really gets eaten by your colon. And so have your colon in mind next time you eat something. Like what's going to be the food that's going to best serve your body? And... By the way, tasty food's really important because it, it helps with the, the digestion. Because if it's tasty, you're likely to chew it more. The more you chew, the more, first of all, you break down the food, give your stomach an easier time. But you also, for carbohydrates, you create enzymes with the saliva. The saliva is filled with enzymes. Your digestive tract can't digest things without the enzymes. So, so you, tasty food's very important, but it's not the most important. The most important is when it, the food all breaks down that it's actually going to be the most assimilable for your body. And what's so important about having a healthy body? Two things. One is you'll live longer. You'll think clearer. 
And and lastly, most important is your soul will be louder. Think about it. Someone who's ill, do they hear more their soul or more their body? Someone who's ill, more their body. So, a spiritual person has to have a really super healthy diet, because if you're committed to spirituality, so your body's got to be as quiet as possible, and that would mean things like uh, you have to be in top shape, so you need strength, flexibility, because you don't want all the ouches and you know the ouches and ouches of of stiffness. So you're going to need strength, body strength, flexibility, balance. And in order not to get hurt, you're going to need coordination. So you should be very coordinated, which means doing things that bring coordination. And an extremely healthy diet. Like really a top-level diet for you. Perfect foods for you, for your particular body. And then your soul will be loud and your body just goes totally quiet. See, most of us get tricked into thinking that the more you spend worrying about being in shape and being flexible and diet, that you're not being spiritual. But it's not the case. The case is that the more you're invested in your body's health, the more your soul's going to have a strong voice inside you. Because when the body's a clean, mean, running machine, it's just burning clean fuel and your body's in top shape, when you're in that mode, it just gets really quiet. Because it's just... A good example is... Uh, is Anyone here ever owned a really old car? Anyone ever, ever had a really old car? And you ever taken a trip with it? And all your passengers are enjoying the trip except for you? Because you're the whole trip, you're just like wondering if you're going to make it. So all you hear is... I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And when you finally arrive, you're just like, whew, we made it. And then what happens is you win the lottery or whatever happens, you get a new car. Some people actually work for a living. And you get a new car. And then you take a road trip, and the car is silent. And suddenly you hear the music, you're enjoying the scenery. You're like all the passengers all of a sudden. You're actually enjoying the trip. Because your car is quiet. So you want to turn your body into that quiet car so that you can actually enjoy your trip. Well, what's your trip? Your trip is your soul's trip. Your, tri- your soul's on a trip in this world. It's been given a body. You want to you keep your body as quiet as possible so that the soul can travel. And the only way your soul's going to do any traveling is, is via a very healthy body. Now, of course, we've gotten this all very backwards in the Jewish world. But I'll tell you this, if you go check out spiritual people in the world, like people really letting their soul glow, and they've, they've mastered soul world, you know, Gentile, Gentile traditions that people have gotten really good at. So those people, check out, check out their bodies. I mean, they're just like, they're in such good shape. They're so flexible. Their diet is completely under control. And, uh, and... You know, that, that's part and parcel of being a spiritual person is that your body's in top shape. That's not a, that's, that's not a, an option. I mean, it's a non-negotiable. If you're going to be a spiritual person in the world, I'm not talking about Jews, if you're going to be a spiritual person in the world, your body shows it, that, that it's just gone quiet from, from being in good shape. But otherwise, 
Otherwise, you're you're just a joker. You're just a joker with sitsis on. Yeah. In Judaism, they always encourage to like eat. Like for me, I try to eat healthy, but my rabbi would like on Shulis would like keep pushing me to eat cheesecake because it's oinig, yomtiv, or Shabbos to eat old fatty stuff because it's oinig. And if you don't, you're not even oinig. So how does that fit in with that? <laughs> Um, we have to have a balance of enjoyment on holidays where there's pleasures that that may not be the number one thing for your body, but it's an enjoyable thing in the, in the doorway of your mouth. So when you do that, you just got to make up for it after. For example, in my house, most people in my house juice on Sundays. I mean, we just had Shabbos. We eat regular Ashkenazi, schmaltzy food. And then, but if you come to my house on a Sunday, most, most of my kids are juicing on Sundays. And they're all eating, you know, we're cleansing. It's a cleansing day. We don't really eat food till all the delicacies, but uh, just a little bit of each. Just a little bit of each of those things. Can you slide your chair over a little? Because you're, yeah, just slide that chair a bit. Because you're, you're being blocked by this lady. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Don't move. What? Did something switch on it? Oh yeah, no, it's, it's fine. Okay, back to Hanukkah. Um, enough about health. Your house represents order. Indoors is order. When you walk in this building, for example, it's ordered. I mean, this class looks crazy, but but at least this morning, this classroom had tables set with two chairs per table. It was all ordered. You can go to other rooms around the building. They're all, you know, the janitorial staff has ordered those rooms. Your home hopefully, is ordered. That's the world of order. And of course, it's really hard when you're not good at that in your house. So then you got chaos outside and inside. But in general, your home is the world of order. And when you get to your doorpost and you walk outside, that's your world of chaos. That's the chaos world. And we're being asked to put our menorah into the world of chaos. We're being asked to take our Hanukkah menorah and put it out in the chaos world and light it, put light into the chaos. But the mitzvah is to be in chaos. You know, the winter solstice that we're in now, this is like the darkest time of year. I think this week will be our earliest Shabbos. Next week's will be our earliest Shabbos. Although the winter solstice this year is December... Something other, I forget what. 20-something. It's a little later than Hanukkah this year. But the... We have more of a desire to pull inside now into the world of order. And Torah is commanding us, this holiday is commanding us to get outside. Go go out there. into Into the world of growth. You don't grow in a world of order. There's no real growth there. And 
your growth only comes when things are getting chaotic in your life. Some people aren't very good at growth altogether. So sometimes God just turns their whole life into chaos all the time because they just don't know how to order it. I don't know why that makes any sense. I mean, you'd think that God would just leave them alone. But uh, I imagine some of you might note that there's chaos all the time. And, and so I don't know why that would have to be for a person. But what I'd like to share with... Yes. Chaos? I mean, you know the difference between indoors and outdoors. That's for sure. Chaos means, uh, you know, a lot of variables that are at play. Um, Chaos is the world of risk. Chaos is marriage. You know, you take a risk when you marry somebody. And... um, Chaos is having children. That's pretty chaotic. And what makes you grow more than risk? What makes you grow more than what makes you grow more than marriage? What makes you grow more than children? I mean, these these things are exactly what send you into the world of chaos. And that's your growth. We don't grow when things make sense. We grow when things get crazy. Yeah, anything that's that's stopped. Yeah, things out of the ordinary. And and they're really important for us. It's kind of funny that people take road trips. You know, that people travel. Because all you're doing, when you say, I want to go travel, all you're really saying is, I need more chaos in my life. It just introduces a million variables. And, and you're... And you actually have parts of your brain that will develop for that. Like there will be, you'll be in situations that you've never been in before. So you, that part of your, you don't really have a part of your brain that, that's used to that situation. And so your brain will actually figure it out and add that to the new level of order. Add that chaos to order. I mean, chaos becomes order real quick. Um, yeah, I found that. There are people actually who are uh, what I call PGFs, personal growth freaks, and and they actually do put themselves in the line of fire of personal growth leaders, and and personal growth leaders are the best. I mean, I happen to be a personal growth leader, and I put people in absolute chaos. And they they meaning when they come to do my seminars, I put them in total chaos, and. They're going to be in chaos for a while. The men generally get out of their chaos within a week or two after the seminar. Women's two months, something like two months, meaning they have two months. It's like the seminar week and three more weeks of absolute chaos. And then like absolute chaos for like another month. But till finally they like land and they're like back to order. So you'd think to yourself, like, why would anyone opt to do that, do my seminars? And the answer is, well, there's some people who their life's gotten so messed up because they made order out of, they made order, I don't want to say out of chaos, but they made order out of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, 
uh, dysfunction. There's people who have dysfunction in their lives, like certain things are dysfunctional, probably having to do with their family dynamics, where they grew up and stuff. Certain people have like, there's dysfunction. And look at what we do with dysfunction. We take dysfunction and we actually, um, <laughs> we create a worldview around it instead of fix it. We just like recreate our f- world philosophy, like our worldview, we actually will recreate the world around our dysfunction rather than focus on the dysfunction. So they, they've seen this in laboratories with rats, that uh, if you put a rat in a, in with four, and he has four tunnels, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, and D, and, and you put cheese at the end of one of those tunnels, let's say D, so the rat's going to hit the first tunnel, second tunnel, yeah, it's going moving around for hours until it finally finds it, eats the cheese, and then you just keep putting it back into tunnel D. It's going to f- start going straight to tunnel D. I mean, it's not a dummy. It's going straight to tunnel D. Now, if you put the cheese now into tunnel A, the end of a long tunnel A, it's going to D. And it's going to get disappointed, and it's going to come back out and go back into D, and go back into D. It's a rat, you know. It doesn't have much of a brain, but it's got a brain. After going to D enough times, it's going to go into C, and it's going to go into B, and it's going to go to A and go, you know, Eureka, you know. You know what human beings would do? If they found cheese in tunnel D, you know, about, you know, give them cheese in tunnel D about 10 times in a row and then never put it there again, you know what tunnel they're going to be in for the rest of their lives? D. D. And if you ask them, like, what were you thinking, man? Because there ain't no cheese in tunnel D. And you ask them what they think, and you, and you should ask them what they're thinking, because I do. I ask people every day, I just had two meetings today, you know, one-on-ones, that people trying to get some help in their lives, and they were both up tunnel D. And I asked them, what are you thinking? And they got this amazing story that they fabricated. Where somehow it all makes sense. It all makes sense because what human beings do with dysfunction is we create a worldview that somehow explains it. And so we all stay in Tunnel D for our whole lives. And so I warn the people who come to my seminars right at the beginning because I want to give them the chance to leave. <laughs> I want to give them a chance to get out and I tell them like, we're going we're gonna to make chaos for you. We're going to turn all of the world that you've, all the, the story you've fabricated around your dysfunction and we're going to shake it up. I'm going to take that little snow globe of yours and shake up the snow and just see where it lands. You know, but, but, but we're going to start putting into question all of our givens and create some chaos out of things. And now when you create new order out of it, and perhaps you'd like to use a few time-true principles that help lives that work and apply those life-affirming principles to your life when the, so when the snow lands, it lands where you want it. And that you can now create a world of order based on principles that are, that are tried and true and, and live in a world you love. But it takes courage to do that. And so, yeah, the question was, can you put yourself into chaos? Or do people put themselves in chaos and then God leaves them alone? The answer is yes. 
but for everyone else, God just shakes you up a lot. God just has you constantly shaken up. And hopefully you wake up one day to the dysfunctions of your lifestyle and your way of being and your interactions and your relationships. And you wake up to that dysfunction. Okay. Ready? Switching gears. I'm going to tell you something about the job of a rabbi. Did you know there's a job description? If someone wants to be a rabbi, you have a job description. It's to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Now, obviously, someone who's in a, being afflicted, you've got to take care of those people. you just got to put your arm around them and take care of them if they're being afflicted. But your main job, most people you're going to be a rabbi to are not going to be in the middle of being afflicted. So your job is to afflict them. And what does it mean to afflict somebody? What it means to afflict somebody is to rip away their worldview. You have to take their worldview and you rip it away from them. Now that sounds like order or chaos. That's chaos. Jobs of rabbis are to put your life in chaos. And this is the scary thing of, you know, and I really feel bad for these people and they should definitely get out of being this kind of rabbi as soon as possible. And that's rabbis of yeshivas for, you know, you know, like uh, kids in yeshiva. From age, when do they start? You 13 till 18, 20, 30, 20, 21, 22. I and mean, those years where the kid's still under his parents' jurisdiction or she's under her parents' jurisdiction in a seminary. So... I pity the rabbis of those children because if you afflict those kids, you're gonna, your phone's going to be ringing off the hook from their parents. So, meaning you, you just can't do your job because, see, it looks like the client's the kid in the school, but they're not the actual client. Who's the actual end user here? It's the parents. So what you're, you're just a glorified babysitter right now, and your whole job of being a Torah educator is, has been thrown in the garbage because you can't do anything now you don't make a difference anymore because if you did make a difference and actually take on your job which we were given as rabbis if you actually feel, did your job you'd lose your job <laughs> you'd lose your job like that and they'd just take away your job because they want someone who creates as few phone calls as possible we have a we have our own yeshiva like that here at Aish, and they don't even they will not have me speak there. Seriously, I'm not allowed to speak there. It's the weirdest thing, and it's in house. You know, these are my colleagues running the thing. And of course, I'll create chaos. They're they're either here to grow, or they're going to be babysat. This is the ultimate lack of chaos. This is the Bermuda Triangle between like <laughs> dormitory bed, study hall, dining hall. So it's like bed, study hall, dining hall. Bed, study hall, dining hall. Bed, it's like there's no more factor. Yeah, maybe some basketball hoops. <laughs> some hoops. Something, there's something round once in a while. No, no, this, was, this is a post-high school yeshiva. 
Asia Torah has its own post high school issue. Is the comfort of chaos that you don't get to face the things inside that you don't want to face? The pump comfort of order, you mean? No, that people don't like people like chaos because they don't have to face those like things they have to work on. You know, like they don't have to. Chaos distraction. Chaos is... No, 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 you're misunderstanding the word chaos right now. Yeah, we're not discussing that. Not even a little. We're not, we're nowhere near the subject of distraction. What do you mean by chaos, exactly? Someone already asked that and I answered, but I can answer again. Chaos would be coming to my class. Coming to Nekamar, you're definitely getting into chaos there. Okay. Um, chaos is just taking, very simply put, it's taking whatever the order of your life is and, and what you, you would call the, you, you know, you, maybe we'll do it like, uh, like um, punctuation. The order in your life, let's call it exclamation points. Like this is who I am, and this is where I live, and this is what I wear, and this is like, it's all these exclamation points of who, what you're all about. And chaos is, is turning them into question marks. Takes a ton of courage to go there. It's not uncomfortable, like Yeah, chaos is always uncomfortable. This is why. Uh, um, what, what what business are you in? Engineer. I'm an engineer by training, but I'm my own my own. You do some investing and stuff and, and things. No. Okay, that's chaos. Yeah, just just put your money in the bank and keep it safe. Except you won't really make any money. Yep. Yeah, you won't lose money, but it'll stay there and you make 1% or something. We love chaos. We love chaos. Some people really love chaos. And they bet big, you know, and volatile stocks and stuff. And But they love it. It just... But that's not the and their bank account grows. Yeah, it is. It grows the bank account. And this is the love of extreme sports, which I'm really into, is, uh, you know, surfing and mountain biking and all that. I mean, think about it. Just think of surfing, okay? Uh, the other day, I, I'm inside the... T- I was surfing on uh, whatever. The waves have been very good lately. And they're coming up big time today for, like, the next week. So we're all really happy about that. And that's why we're going to be ending class a little early today. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. i got to go light my manure. Anyway, but the... Uh, think of me inside... The, I'm inside the tube of a wave, yeah? I'm riding inside the tube of this wave. If I don't hold my line exactly where I'm holding my line, I climb up a little too high, I'm going over into what? Into ultimate chaos. And that's going to be really chaotic. And then whitewater is the ultimate example of chaos. And a wave, till it's broken, is the ultimate order. I mean, think about it. It's a vibrational pattern from windstorms way out into the sea that have ordered themselves into sets of waves that are coming in. That's the ultimate order. When they break, that's the ultimate chaos. And surfing is riding right on the cusp of the order and the chaos. Because you can only really ride the wave right where it's breaking. So you're, And then if you're in the actual tube of the wave, you're really in the fine line between order and chaos. And when I'm mountain biking technical trails, and I, when I say technical trails, we're talking Israel technical trails, which is like another animal compared to the rest of the world's mountain biking. And the mountain biking here is insane. Um, we don't do beginners, okay? We don't even do intermediate. You know? And the truth is we do beginner and, and, and expert. Beginner means you ride fire roads for Jeeps, but we don't have intermediate trails. Every trail is going to have 
you know, at the very least, you're going to have three, four foot drops out of nowhere. You know, your whole entire trail disappears. And you're just, you just got to pull up on the bars and stay balanced and keep moving forward. If you slow down too much, you're going to be going straight over the bars. You're going too fast, you know, you, you, you don't know what's coming after the drop. You may have to hit both brakes as hard as you can right after that. So you're in total order and chaos right there with your whole body having to be reacting between the order and the chaos. Because once you fly over those bars, you're in chaos. You have to be totally holding, holding that, that place on thin trails with sometimes high exposure on either side. You know, I mean, it's going down 100 feet on that side, it's going down 100 feet on that side, and you're just riding this trail right down the middle, which is itself very technical, so full of drops grow, and stuff. How do you grow from that? What? How do you grow from that kind of thing? So that, I wouldn't call that much, a, that much you, well, you're growing your skills, okay. big yeah. time. Yes. You're growing your skills, just like business, you're growing your bank account. But the uh, but it's our thrill. Human beings love chaos. We love it. It doesn't matter what kind. Chaos. We just love it, and we sabotage our order sometimes. We even sabotage our order to create more chaos. You know who you are. But like everything would have been going smoothly, but then you'll watch YouTube till three in the morning and destroy your morning. You just sabotage the order of your life. And some people do that. Like they can't have three days the same. They're chaos freaks. I happen to be one of them. I cannot... I, I don't think I've ever had two days that were even remotely similar to one another. Like, even remotely similar. Every single day for me is a totally different day than the day before. I, 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 I can't do it any other way. And if it even got close, I would sabotage it. I would somehow mess it up. And I'm a volatile person. Okay, I have a high volatility. Which also is emotional. Yeah, it's, it's a roller coaster to be me. But thank God, with enough life tools, which I've had to be like, you know, I run now, you know, for 17 years, but I, ha I eventually run seminars because I had to get myself under control because my high volatilities made me very good at helping people work through their stuff. But I had to get myself first under control because I love chaos because I know that's where, that's where the spice of life is because there's no life in order orders germany okay orders train schedules orders police orders government and and, uh, and no one likes that and no one no one needs that and jews have represented chaos to the world for years and years and years we are chaos man we're not going to work on Saturdays. Ain't going to work on Saturday. You know? Double. What is it? Double, triple. Double, double. You have to say double twice. It's like the worst written songs ever. Double, double, triple, pay. Ain't going to work on Saturday. It's Shabbos Kodesh. Why? It's Shabbos Kodesh. So, like, we are chaos, man. And all those ordered countries out there couldn't stand us. They had to destroy us. They always had to destroy us. And this has to do with slaughter. There's a famous story of uh, when it was time for Elijah, the, the, the prophet, 
Elijah the prophet, when it was time for him to finally move on and give the next prophecy level, there was always a head prophet, like a chief rabbi. So the next chief prophet was going to be Elisha. And, and it was time. And he came and just tripped him out, which is the job of a rabbi, is to freak you out. So instead of coming and having this whole conversation with him, he just came and like, what was Elisha doing? He was from a wealthy family. He had 24 oxen plowing at the same time. And he's on like the 24th ox, you know, whatever, on the plow of the 24th ox running the show. You know, he's the son of this wealthy landowner. And, but he's going to be the next prophet. And it, usually it makes sense that it's coming to a very rich kid. Because rich kids have less on their minds. Because think about it, a lot of you grew up wondering how you're going to make it. Which means it took up a certain amount of your mental real estate for many, 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 many years of your life. And good luck getting that real estate back. I mean, that's, that real estate's there for making a living. But a kid who's born rich has much more mental real estate for using that for spirituality, for, for God. So, so it, it's kind of interesting to say that a wealthier kid has a certain propensity towards spirituality if he was raised wealthy because he just, not, he just doesn't think in terms of... of now, there are many wealthy kids whose parents, you know, you know, push them towards a work ethic, push them towards the fact that they're not going to be taking care of them, you know, when, once they get older, push them that way. And you should know those parents are doing their kids a tremendous favor because the ones who just let them have the silver spoon in their mouth and continually wipe their nose are doing their kids no favor at all. They're messing up their kids big time. Unless that kid, of course, is going to become a prophet. Now, we can hear that Elijah, sorry, uh, Elisha is running a plow. So he's obviously a worker. Worker, You know, he's working his father's, you know, he's threshing, uh, not threshing, sorry. He's ho- uh, hoeing. <laughs> what do you call it? Tilling, tilling. <laughs> he's tilling the soil. Anyways, what does Elisha do? Elisha just comes flying in right next to him and throws his prophecy cloak that he wears you know he's like superman cloak he just throws it on him and and doesn't even say much other than that you know so now alicia's like wearing this cloak that he just threw on him and the writing was on the wall he was basically saying you're going to be the next prophet without having much of a discussion with him and he's like come with me and alicia's like well i'd like to say goodbye to my family before i disappear into prophecy school you know and, and Elijah's like, wrong answer, bro. See you later. I'm out of here. Huh. He wants to go give his mommy and daddy a hug and a kiss. <laughs> what do mommy and daddy represent? Say it. Safety. Order. order. Mommy and daddy are order. And what is a prophecy and flying off into the wild blue yonder prophecy? What does that represent? Chaos. Chaos. And it doesn't say he goes back to his parents. It says he goes and slaughters two of the cows and feeds the community with it. What's slaughter? What's animal slaughter? Order or chaos? Chaos. Chaos. He slaughters order. Because living animals, totally orderly. I mean, you can't get a greater system than than a living organism. And now you're going to slaughter it and spill its blood everywhere and take away its life force? I mean, you can't get more chaotic than that. And remember, he's going back to hug, to kiss his mother and father. And he goes and slaughters two cows. 
two of the oxen or whatever. And then, and then goes with Eliyahu. Doesn't mention him going home. Just says he goes, slaughters his cows, and then, and then he's off to prophecy school. Chaos. What's the Hebrew word for chaos? Um, Hebrew word, we don't really have a Hebrew word for chaos. And I've been, lately I've been working on that a little bit because I'm so curious. Because if there's no word for something in Hebrew, that means it doesn't exist. And so you can get incredible insights. You ready for this? You can get incredible insights. And I, I'm pretty sure I've worked it through so far, but I'm not quite there. So that's why I wasn't going to share it. But I'll share a little where I'm at. Is that anytime a word isn't expressed in the holy tongue of Hebrew, it means it doesn't exist. For example, vacation. There's no ancient Hebrew word for such a thing. Because you're always on in God's world. There's no word for vacation. There's, uh, there's many other words that have no word also. And the... Anyway, but there's no word for chaos in Hebrew. And I believe the reason is, and this is only as far as I've gotten, I mean, I've got to, like, obviously I've got to do a lot more homework on this, but um, I believe the reason is, is because cause it's not really chaos. It doesn't exist. Remember I said any word that's not in Hebrew doesn't exist. So it doesn't exist really. So chaos doesn't exist. Why? Because what is chaos? Chaos is order that you don't understand. I mean, imagine, like, imagine, uh, I forgot your first name. Thank you. Akiva, you take a road trip. You wind up in a situation that you've just never had to deal with before, and now you're going to have to like really figure things out. Something really crazy is happening. And you're totally out of your depth. It's a cultural phenomenon that you're just not ready to deal with. You don't know what to do. Now, everyone in that culture where you travel to, are they in order or chaos? They're probably in order. So your chaos is their order. And so... It could be that God created the world, and it's very likely, too, that God created the world, that the chaos that makes us grow is actually just part of a larger system. The, to us, it's in the subset of chaos, but it's in a larger set called order. And it just, to the, to the eye of the beholder, it looks chaotic. But there's a great order to it. And one of the great examples of this, have you ever thought about how giant waves neutralize themselves within... You know, 30 seconds. And it never made sense to me. I mean, here's this giant body of water. You know, sometimes we're surfing waves that are like giant, you know, like 25 foot more water. That's a lot of water being displaced here. And it breaks. And there's this total chaos and it's roaring towards the shore and doesn't seem to be really letting up much until it's going to go up the shore. And then it's gone. Right into the order of the ocean. So like, even the, one of the most chaotic things that nature provides, which is a giant breaking wall of water, meaning whitewash, we call it, just is gone. Like, how'd that happen? How does it just get... Meaning, meaning even the chaos is order. And you want to know how you survive a giant water wall of white water in case you ever wind up in that position? I bless you never to be stuck like in that kind of case. Very few people ever would wind up in such a situation. But if it, you did wind up in that situation, step number one is take a deep breath. Step number two is go as deep as you can to get 
under its reaches, which you're not going to succeed with, but at least you, at least you start your washing machine experience from, from the edge of it rather than the middle of it, which may, there may be a chance you won't get sucked up into the middle of it, a chance. And so you may get spit out a little earlier from the chaos of it. And, but here's the most important part. The most important part is you must ragdoll your body. Ragdoll. Surrender. Totally. Because if you use even one ounce of strength in that situation by resisting it, even one ounce of strength, the likelihood of you being able to swim up 30 feet after it finally let you go is very, un- very unlikely if you use any energy. So when you're in that ultimate chaos, your job is to surrender. Now, can anyone think deeply for a moment on why I'm talking about this? Resistance, chaos, resistance, surrender, alive. Well, you missed the beginning of this class. It's all about putting the menorah outside. Chaos, surrender. I'm not even going to answer that one. I'm too late. You want me to? Yeah, well, basically is that when, when God starts throwing all the curveballs at you, you can resist it, or you can surrender in the white water of it, and and let it push the buttons that it was meant to push, and then you come up okay, and then you don't have to you don't have to spend the rest of your life in that because you've already grown through that. You're done with that. You'll be hitting your new level of chaos, but it's it's at least you're not dealing with the same stuff. Uh, I imagine some of you notice you get repeat stuff. So you're probably in resistance. If you're getting repeat suffering, repeat chaos in your life, you're probably in resistance to it. But if you surrender to chaos and you let it do its thing and get your growth out of it, so you're much more likely to, to be in the right place. And then you'll get more chaos, but at least it's not that original chaos. It's a new level of chaos. Um, sure... One example is trauma. I'll give you an example of trauma. Um, People who have suffered trauma are going to be very resistant around chaos. Because in chaos, think about it, trauma, if you suffer trauma, whether it's a car accident or or it's because of someone else or there was a death in the family or bankruptcy or anything, but this kind of trauma took place or even abuse. So what happened is there was a an extreme situation of chaos such that the, the, the victim of it was not in a position emotionally to be there right then. It was bad timing. I mean, God knows what he's doing and, you know, this has to do with reincarnation and why we have to go through what we go through, but that's not for us right now. But the person like... So, meaning normal chaos doesn't cause trauma, but we all know there's people as we speak who are going through trauma right now. There's a certain amount of car accidents happening in the world right now, and some of them are going to change people's lives forever. And there's going to be trauma as a result. And what happens is the there just happens to be a principle that you, that if you relive suffering, it disappears. If you relive suffering, it disappears. So you can do that via hypnosis. 
You can do it via, um, via plant medicines. You can do it via, um, you know, seminar work. Like I, we do some reliving stuff in my seminars. And, and it just happens that whenever you relive suffering, it disappears. But what happens, when, what happens to a person who's post-trauma around any kind of chaos that re- even slightly resembles, slightly resembles the original trauma? What are they going to be doing? Fleeing. Yeah, they're going to be running the other way. If they can't run, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be surrendering or resisting. resisting. 100% resisting. And they, they become a lightning rod vibration. This, we're not going into this. Uh, this is a whole subject. You know, Sammy knows this subject because we've worked together in the past. But, they, but you become a lightning rod for the repetition of that particular issue. Because it's just going to find you. Because vibrationally, it's so in you and so on your mind that you constantly are getting reinfected by traumas that are going to be right on that similar note of the original trauma. And as long as you resist them, they stay. And so what happens is the mistake that people make is they think their way out of trauma or out of pain or out of chaos or out of their issues, out of that white water. The way people think... The way people think is to go away from it, but it seems to chase you down. You know, I mean, I'll ask you guys, where's the safer place to get nailed by a wave? Deeper water or shallower water? Yeah, he answered it right away, and and that's what you probably, many of you were thinking, and the answer is no, deeper water. Shallow water, you have nowhere to get under it. You're you're just going to, you're going to get pancaked against the floor of this ocean, and just Taken, and you're likely, you know, who knows what's going to happen to your limbs as the washing machine keeps banging you back into it. But actually in the deeper water, there's a, there is calm underneath all that churning. And you may be able to swim deep enough to get under its reach. So it's actually, you want to go into it. And that's an incredible analogy for us. And that is that, that the only way out of your suffering is to go through it. Spending the rest of your life avoiding the things you're afraid of is a great way to make them persist. What you resist persists. What you resist persists. You know, if I hold this pen like with white knuckles, good luck getting it out of my hand. It's going to stay there if I resist. But when I surrender, it's very easy to remove it. And this is the, one of these great paradoxes of human beings is we're so easy to heal if you just surrender. You know, if you just surrendered and let yourself get in there, and obviously you need the right context, you need the right people helping you through it. You know, you need the right environment. But if you just surrender yourself in there, it's shocking how easy it is to get out of the most difficult problems. And this is where therapists often get, are to blame uh, sadly, is uh, and by the way, I'm all about therapists. You know, I, I myself have no problem going to a therapist if necessary, nor sending people to therapists. But this is where therapists get. This is where therapists go to hell. Is is that they? Um, obviously, most therapists don't realize this, but but you don't have to be a genius to realize that if you keep having someone reopen something once a week for 45 minutes to 50 minutes, you know, at a couple hundred bucks a pop. So you're not helping them. You, you, you need to create, if you are, a, if you are a, a responsible therapist and you really think this is the way to go, meaning with, i.e., 
you're the way this client should go, which is that itself is questionable. But if you think you're so worthy of helping people, so tell them you're canceling all appointments for the next month and you're going to do one four-hour appointment. We're just going to do one four-hour appointment. We're, we're going in there. We're going to go in there with plenty of time to go in there using different modalities the whole time. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get... We're going in it totally. We're not just opening up a wound and then closing it for a week's for a week break. But we're actually going to go in there and disappear it because when you relive suffering, you disappear it. So the only way really out of your suffering in your life is not out, but it's where? The only way out is in. Everyone try that. The only way out is in. Try saying that. The only way out is in. The only way out is in. You got to go in there. Now, how, how do you think most human beings feel about going into their stuff? They don't want to go in there. I mean, just the retail world and not alone is, you know, I mean, how many people have I met who are trauma sufferers who, who have overeaten to the point of obesity? You know, and or others have overshopped or, or overexercised or, you know. And a lot of that trauma sadly happens on the level of love. And everyone knows love is the most dangerous thing in the world. I mean, that makes surfing and mountain biking like a cakewalk. Love? Like to put your heart in someone else's hands and the guy's holding an egg slicer in the other hand? You know, how do you know they're going to just put your heart in the egg slicer? This is why at least observant Jewish girls know, don't give your heart away. Don't give your heart away. You get the insurance policy on your finger, okay. But no insurance policy, right? No ticky, no washy. Yeah, you don't you don't put the insurance policy on the ring finger. You're not you don't get jack. Jack. And and so there's nothing more scary than the heart. That's the frontier that's much more dangerous than any other thing, any other risk. Well, there's a counterfeit to the heart that feels kinda like it. And the counterfeit's called attention. Now, how much of the retail world do you think is coming from people who've been traumatized with their innermost, that innermost sanctum called the heart, like the real innermost, that's been already majorly sliced to smithereens, you know, it's really been smashed to pieces. And so, how much of the retail world is spent on things that draw attention? Because attention feels so much like love. It's really quite an amazing counterfeit. Unless you're really good at something. If you're really good at something, it's deadly. Because if you're really good at singing, you may even be singing for a rock band and throw up on your vomit and choke on your own vomit at three in the morning and die. You know, they, they tend to crash and burn those people pretty bad. So hopefully you're not too good at anything. Because if you're really good at something, it couldn't turn deadly. You know, the, the counterfeit of love. But that's what they do is they just perpetuate it and perpetuate it and perpetuate it and they'll spend any amount of money and they'll work any amount of workaholic hours to afford more things that draw more attention to, their, to themselves with the car they drive and the house they have and the clothes they wear and, the, and they'll even give up true love which is their children at home. Like at least they got some safe people. The kids you have are your safe people. But they're not quite as safe as the people who work for you. 
because they work for you. You know, you can come home from work with full respect of everyone at your workplace, and then you tell your kids, your wife's like, can you please put the kids in bed? So you're like, okay, kids, time for bed. And they just scatter in every corner of the house and run away from you and hide under here. And like, and if they, think, they think bedtime means chase. <laughs> they think like suddenly it's tag. And you're just like, oh, I gotta do anything to go back to work right now. <laughs> where everyone like was bowing down to me. You know, where I... Like, I had some respect there, which is attention, just another form of it. Mm, so back to Hanukkah, is our job is, we're being asked to, to do this mitzvah in the world of chaos. Light that candle on the outside, the doorpost. On the right side is Order. Put your menorah on the left side, because the right side represents order. That's why the right side has a mezuzah on it. And it says on it, what does it say? Shin Dalad Yud. It's the name of God that means enough, like order. Make order. Think about it. God's name, Yud and Heim, Vavane, is total chaos. It's the expanding universe. It's coming off that name. So what makes this world not just expand into oblivion and full entropy? The answer is the name of God called Shin Dalad Yud, which means Sheh die that God said to his world stop expanding and get yourself ordered into creation the only reason we're all sticking to the surface of this room and not flying off into oblivion is because that name if God took that name out right now we'd all just turn into into you know it'd be this room would become a food processor it's only the name Shin Dalit and Yud that keeps this room from turning into a food processor it's order. That's on the right side of the door. You have to put that menorah outside your house, under ten tefachim, where, where even God's hand, so to speak, meaning, meaning where the, the presence doesn't dwell. You've got to put that light out there. You've got to go out there in the darkest time of the year, the time you want to most pull in. And away from that world of chaos out there, you have to go outside your house. You've got to go light that thing out there where wind could just blow out that kennel. And all you're going to do is light a little flame Obviously, you've got to put it behind glass if you light it outdoors, but the, it is the most sensitive thing, and that's the flame. I'll go on on that next day. is about the soul and stuff, and the flame and the soul. I think we've beaten this dead horse. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to ask your favor. If you, if you need the bathroom, go ahead and use it, but otherwise the guard also has a life, and he needs to close this building now. Okay? Shalom, everyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.